Hey, what's going on, everybody? I am your host, Tim McCarthy, with another episode of 20 Tim Minutes. Today, I am joined by Scout Sobel, founder of Scouts Agency, a female-focused PR agency, helping women be guests on podcasts. She's co-host of the OK Sis podcast, the host of the Scout podcast. And then on August 16th, Scout will be releasing her book titled The Emotional Entrepreneur, which will be available to purchase on Amazon. So this is a 25-lesson book that guides aspiring and current entrepreneurs on how to manage, starting, running, and scaling their business on the emotional level. These lessons are inspired by her healing journey from living with bipolar disorder. Scout Sobel, how are you? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Thanks for asking. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm uh, so excited to be here. Awesome. Uh, and congrats on, on the book. Um, I, got, I got a copy of it, and I appreciate that. Yay, thank you. Yeah, it's it's wild when um, it starts getting into the hands of people and they start even just browsing through. I People talk a lot about when they have a book that there's kind of this vulnerability hangover that happens after they release the book. But I think in the process of writing it and just sending it out to podcast hosts, family, friends, before it launches, there's definitely like that vulnerability jitters, I feel as if. 100% because I'd be like, you guys read it yet? You guys read it yet? Like I'd be calling up everybody like, I didn't even get it yet. <laughs> <laughs> like two hours after I'm like, so you're done, right? You finished yeah, the whole <laughs> That's got to be so tough. That'd be like the hottest part for me to deal with. Um, yeah. And you've personally been on a, a bunch of like top tier podcasts. You've represented numerous big names. You featured clients like on Forbes, BuzzFeed, LA Weekly, and a bunch of other ones. Uh, now, can you first talk about your OK Sis podcast? Because that seems like to be like your most popular project right now even though you have like a whole slew of them and uh, how that kind of parlayed into your uh, scouts agency so okay so this podcast really when I look back it's been three years since we started this podcast and I I truly I hear entrepreneurs say this all the time but I truly could not have imagined what the last three years actually would have happened to me today so I had my own podcast four years ago because very weird story. I lived next to a wholesale produce store who randomly opened a podcast studio. They let me in because they were like, sure, we'll try this out. I mean, it's the most random thing ever, but I wasn't really treating it like a business. It felt very stale. I wasn't really being held accountable some weeks I missed, which in the podcast world, consistency is the most important thing. And so I was at a hotel for my sister's birthday. It was just me and her. And we had one too many rosés. We had just gotten a massage. We were out by the pool. You get the vibe. And I said, hey, I don't have an episode for next week, um, which, you know, is very showing how, you know, invested I was in this podcast. And so I asked her if she would come on. She said yes. We went to the business center. We recorded on my phone. We were eating truffle chips the whole time. It was really a mental health and spirituality podcast, but we ended up talking about The Bachelor and pop culture and shooting the shit. And I recognized this concentrated energy between me and my sister when you put us in a room together with no distractions in front of a mic. And I couldn't shake this feeling. Um, and so two weeks later, I asked her if she wanted to start a podcast. And she said, sure. She is a little bit more risk averse than I am. Uh, she says that I'll jump and just pray that a parachute appears midair. And so we started the podcast in two weeks. Even back then, she believed the space was saturated, which is which is not true. And even today, with with the space being a little bit more um, present, there's more podcasts, which is a beautiful thing. 
um, I think it was to our advantage that the industry wasn't exactly where it is today because we didn't have time to think strategy and should we launch with one episode or two episodes, whatever. We just did it. And the reason we did it really was to strengthen our relationship. And then we wanted to be able to talk to our girl crushes. And so very early on, we were able to get some incredible guests, uh, people that I never thought that I would ever even speak to, right? So my sister and I don't come from an influencer background. We did not have a public facing business. So we really started from ground zero. And so as we started getting these incredible guests, just five months into podcasting, I recognized that we that when we would have a guest on our community, which back then was much smaller than it is today, and the only reason I say that is to show the power of a podcast community, no matter the size, is that they were following our guests on Instagram, they were buying their products, they were becoming brand evangelists for our guests, and I recognized how powerful that was. And then my sister and I would be a guest on podcasts, and our downloads would go up, our Instagram followers would go up. And I recognized podcasting as essentially kind of this new form of PR that wasn't really tapped into. Podcasting had all of the things that lit me up. It was long form. It was intimate. It was vulnerable. It was authentic. It wasn't a curated you know, press statement. It wasn't a quote in a magazine. It was unfiltered, an hour talking with someone about their life, their struggles, their inspiration, what they're proud of, all of these things their energy, their personality comes through. And so I said, wow, how powerful is that, that something so authentic and vulnerable can have the most ROI in the world of PR. And so I started Scouts Agency five months into running OKSIS podcast, maybe six, six months into running OKSIS podcast. And I really started it to help other podcasters grow their shows by getting as guests on other podcasts. And I had an Excel spreadsheet of a thousand dream clients and I had a media kit made up. You know, I'm someone who just does shit, right? Like I think of something and then I do it. I didn't have a business plan. I didn't know where it was going to take me. I didn't know how to price my stuff. I never worked in an agency. I'd never been in a client-based industry. And I sent those first a thousand emails out. My Gmail got blocked. I opened up another Gmail, which was a disaster because then I had two Gmails for a while, two email addresses for a while. Yeah. And, you know, we started with three services. We'll book big guests on your podcast if you have one. We'll book you as a guest on podcasts and do a podcast tour. And to be honest, I threw in traditional PR because I thought that if I did, people would understand what I was doing more and feel more comfortable. I don't have PR experience. I didn't know what I was doing. Four months later, I'm quitting my day job because I'm making more on my client-based stuff than I am on my day job. Six months into it, we have a roster of 10. I recognize very quickly that my services do not have to just be applied to podcasters, but female entrepreneurs, female authors, personal figures, coaches, whoever could really benefit from being a guest on podcasts. And so we quickly became known as the leading agency for running podcast tours for women. We've done it for Jessica's wife, Rebecca Minkoff, Kat Sadler, Kelly Baker. It goes on and on. And then, you know, coincidentally, also the traditional PR side of us really grew. We've gotten our clients in Forbes, Vogue, Marie Claire, InStyle, Friday 29, BuzzFeed. And so it's, I suppose, looking back, it's one of those stories where I just took the next step. Yeah. And then I woke up and I was here, essentially. So it really started, though, as a recognition of my love for the medium of podcasting and how can I service other women specifically in this space. 
I feel like the best people for those jobs are people like you that kind of just figure it out and they had like no plan for it. And you're just like, wait, I am really good at this. Cause the paths we take, you just kind of show up and you're like, wait, I am good at this. And you're, you don't know until you do it. And yeah. if you never had that moment where they're like, Hey, come in our studio and start recording a podcast. It's like all those weird steps to get you there and how random that was. And now look at you. So it is yeah. kind of, it was, I'll always love those like origin stories of like where someone started. And that, that's like a, that was a phenomenal trip. I just went on. <laughs> Thank you. And, and to be honest, the story starts even earlier. Like I was 22. My first entrepreneurial journey was making a magazine. We had a three issue run Barnes and Noble sold it. Halsey was on the cover. And so there's two sure. ways to look at my story, which I think is really powerful. One is that I can't hold on to a job for the life of me and I keep doing other things. Or two, that every step is so beautifully connected and has transported me and propelled me into the next stage of my life. That's fantastic. Now, who would be on your uh, Mount Rushmore guests of girl crushes that you haven't had on yet? Who would be on that? Who are you, you know, white would, whales? Yeah, I would. For some reason, I'm super hung up on having Sophia Amoroso on the podcast, which really is, I'm like, that freaking close to that happening we were yeah. in conversation so hopefully that'll happen soon for some reason she's just been the target for me i think it's because when i started my first entrepreneurial business i read girl boss her book at the same time and it made me realize there were other women out there who one were doing rad shit and two am i allowed to cuss on here yeah fuck yeah I should probably ask that. I just like have a mouth of a sailor. One, that women were doing rad shit and that two, business didn't have to look the way I thought it did. So um, she's just always been a business, I suppose, aspirational role model for me. So it would be awesome. Obviously having Whitney Wolf heard on, founder of Bumble would be rad. And then um, on just a more creative side, I would die to even have the opportunity to be in the same room as Mary-Kate Olsen. Really? Mary-Kate? Yeah. Not, not Ashley? Believe me, I'll take either. But Mary Kate, um, she was profiled in Nylon when I was 18. And the writer did the most, you know, I'm a writer first. And so first, I think I fell in love with the writer. He profiled her in the most beautiful, poignant, romantic way. And it opened my eyes to what journalism could be, that journalism didn't need to be dry, that the way we communicate can be rich, filled with storytelling and intimacy. And it was the first time I heard someone say, I have high highs and low lows. And I just saw myself and her so significantly in that moment. It was the first time I'd ever heard of someone say something like that. And I remember in the early stages of, uh, you know, dropping out of college and being diagnosed with bipolar, one of my escapes was, which is kind of weird, was going on Tumblr and looking up pictures of Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen's uh, outfits. I thought that the way they carried themselves was so different than anyone I had ever seen and that they were so beautifully plugged into a world of luxury and art and um, a culture that I didn't think was mainstream, but that really spoke to my soul. So on an aesthetic side, I love the way they curate their lives. I think they're creative geniuses. And then on an emotional side, she was the first person that I ever heard say that, who I grew up admiring anyways. So I felt a really big connection to her in that moment. Obviously, they're two totally different people. But when I was younger, I watched Full House. So like, I always picture them as the twins, like with Jesse Kasopoulos, like, 
I, yeah. uh, I was like, so that's how I see them, but yeah, they're very like stylish. And the thing I love about them, they're very like mystique. Like you don't really know much about them because they're not really at the forefront of like TMZ or anything, but like their sister yeah. Elizabeth Olsen is like awesome too. It's like, um, awesome. yeah, they're the best. Yeah. It's so funny. And this is like, not what we're slated to talk about, but I'm going to keep going on this because it's so interesting. Um, <laughs> She, I would say when I was 18, I would say, I want to be mysterious like Mary-Kate Olsen. That's what I want. I want that air of sophistication, that air of secrecy. And I sit here and, you know, I'm like, fuck, I just said that on OKC's podcast. My whole life's on the internet. There is nothing mysterious about me. I'm the most an open book. <laughs> they seem like they have like clouds of smoke where they can just disappear at any time. They, they, that's what they seem like. And yeah, I would love to meet them too, just to have a question, like just a couple questions and that's it. Yeah. But they would probably hate me. Um, yeah, me too. But yeah, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, you mentioned you, your battle with bipolar. I definitely want to talk about that because you're so successful and it's definitely tough for people like us to uh, like use your mental health and turn it around instead of beating yourself down. Um, can you talk about your journey up until this point and what that was like for you and how you still deal with it? Yeah, so I had my first depressive episode at the age of 14. And I, you know, part of the things that I did, I think, were a cry for help and a cry for control. You know, I was restricting food and binging. I was self-harming myself. I wasn't taking care of myself physically. And it was very known. It was very obvious. I went to a very small school. Everybody knew. And then when the school found out that I was self-harming, they told my parents and enrolled me into therapy. And so I was in therapy uh, all of high school. None of my friends were. And I don't, to be honest, like I don't really remember me feeling shame around that or me being secret. Like everybody knew I grew up in a very, very tight knit community. Um, but I was definitely the only one. And it was very known that I had emotional, I don't want to say the word problems, but maybe emotional nuances that my other peers weren't experiencing. And I took a test in high school, one of those 500 question personality tests, and I scored between clinical and chronic depression. But when you're in high school, a lot of the times they're confused. Is it hormones? Is it puberty? Or is it something really happening with your mental illness? Is it a phase? And so I'm really grateful for that because I don't know what my journey would have been like if I was so rigidly diagnosed so young and put on medication so young. Um, I definitely think I was dismissed a little bit, you know, like the, the severity was not being super acknowledged. Um, but when I, when I went away for college is when it really started to become very apparent that something in my mind, uh, if not tamed, met, accepted, loved, nourished would destroy me or was aiming to destroy me. So when I left for college at 18, I developed a very big sense of paranoia and psychosis. And so I thought men were following me home. I thought they were under my bed, in my balcony, in my closet, waiting to come rape and kill me. And I would freeze, totally freeze. I wouldn't even move a finger. I would pretend that I was sleeping and I would plan escape routes in my head of how I was going to get out of my apartment. And I am so grateful that in that psychosis and paranoia, there was like 0.5 to 1% of me that knew it wasn't real because I would tell myself, you had this last night. Remember, nothing happened. I convinced myself that I was like kind of the boy who cried wolf. Like there was nothing. There was no wolf. But I remember after living with that for, you know, maybe a month or two, you know, having my friends check my car to make sure nobody was in there. 
me physically seeing and them approving, like there's no one in this car, but yet I still had to be on the call on the phone with my dad driving home just in case. Um, I called my dad crying on the balcony and it was the moment that I accepted in myself as well as said out loud, you know, Hey, there's something happening here and I need help. And, you know, that was 10 years ago, over 10 years ago. Now there was no May mental health awareness month. There was no Instagram. There was no hashtag self-care. There wasn't sweatshirts that said, you know, mental health slogans. This was a time where that the word mental health wasn't even in our daily vernacular. And so my dad had a hard time grasping, okay, is my daughter just having difficulty transitioning to college and leaving home? And, you know, my parents just got divorced. Is she just reacting to that? Or is something happening here? And I knew in that moment that something was. And so I started diving even deeper into therapy, uh, started, you know, seeing psychiatrists and my medication journey started. And it wasn't until I was 20 it was in New York at college and I just had this inability to do anything. I would walk to French class and I would stare at the door handle and just turn around and go home. Um, I had this, it felt like there was this monster inside me that was trying to get out from the inside out, but it couldn't escape my body. And so when I was diagnosed, she actually said it was manic depressive disorder. And so I think I disassociated in that moment. I didn't ask questions. I was like, okay. And I walked home to my apartment with my best friends and I opened my phone and I Googled what is manic depressive disorder. And it said bipolar. And I thought that I was done. I thought that my, I was going to be crazy quote unquote forever. I thought that I would never be successful. I thought that there was no way someone with bipolar disorder can exist in this world. I cried so hard and called my dad and I was on the next plane home and I dropped out of college. Um, Since that moment, obviously many things have changed. You know, that was nine years ago now. But once I went home, I was going through a CBT outpatient program. They locked me up on a 5150 that summer before I turned 21, which was terrifying you know, hearing the words, you are a threat to yourself in society. And then me saying, um, can my parents drive me? And them saying, no, legally, you cannot leave our site. Like a security guard walked me to the bathroom. Um, you know, it was really scary. And it wasn't really until I turned 21, I, I couldn't hold a job. I couldn't be a waitress. I couldn't be a gelato scooper. I, the minimum wage, just minimum responsibility was escaping me. And I remember starting to date my husband, then boyfriend. And he said, look, this was like two months into our relationship. He said, look, I don't care if you're depressed. If you're depressed and hopeful, I can be in this relationship. If you're depressed and hopeless, I can't be here. And it was kind of that last final straw. What else was I going to lose? I had lost internship jobs, college experiences, friendships. I was living in my mom's house when my friends were graduating like Ivy League colleges. And so I just decided to infuse hope. I didn't put too much pressure on myself to change, but I said, what would my day look like tomorrow if I woke up with hope? And that subtle mindset shift landed me in support groups weekly. It landed me to work the 12-step program for Depression Anonymous. I'm not 
part of uh, AA, I'm not sober, but I applied those principles since my husband is. Um, it led me to expressing gratitude every day. It led me to taking radical responsibility over my emotions. And that was at the age 21 to 22. And the last, from 22 to 29, we're not, you know, smooth sailing. I got to a point where I could function, where I could hold a job, where I could finish college, or so I thought I dropped out a second time, but this time for a career move. Um, you know, I got thrown a lot of curveballs. I developed catatonia, which is when your body becomes physically paralyzed because your nervous system is just done. It just gives out and you can't speak or move for hours on end. I was down for a whole month with that. And so over the last six years, it's been, okay, I'm functioning, but it still hurts and it's still hard. And how do I make sure in here is good? Like the outer world might be good, but what about in here? And so it wasn't until about a year ago where I hired a coach that I really, really, really worked on the core belief. Um, my core belief was I'm unsafe in my emotions. I believe that my emotions had the ability to destroy my life because they had in so many different instances. And so with cultivating this belief of I am safe in my emotions, I've been able to develop a completely different relationship to them. I've developed a spiritual practice. I have faith in a higher power. And even today, when I feel depressed and anxious, I just have this root that says, I'm okay. And I got you. Like, you're okay. You're having an emotional human experience. And emotions are meant to be felt. They're not meant to be discarded, you know, pushed down, ignored. They're meant, they just want you to say, I see you, I hear you, and I love you, and I'm here for you. And so the way I talk to my emotions is very different. And once I kind of got to this point and once I was so drawn to entrepreneurship, mostly because, um, you know, entrepreneurship is high highs and low lows. And it was so much responsibility as the owner that you couldn't back out. There wasn't like, oh, my psychiatrist is going to write a note and I'm going to tap out today. Like, you're the owner. There's no option. And so for me, I had to be placed in a situation where there is no option to back out. I was home in entrepreneurship. I recognized how emotional it was from the get-go. And I recognized that the emotional healing tools I had been garnering up, living with a mental illness, were the exact reason why I was successful in business. And so those two started to dance. They've been dancing ever since. And I'm so grateful that I found the merging of mental health and entrepreneurship because I really believe they both allow me to show up in my purpose every day. It's kind of good to like come to terms. I wouldn't say like, like your demons, but like using the negatives and make it into a positive, um, which is pretty much a bigger lyric, but it, you know what I mean? Like, it's like perfect. That's like a, that's a long journey for sure. And what would like, if you had to go back in time and like tell your high school stuff, like, Hey, you're going to write a book. Like, what would she say? Um, I think she, uh, I think she would have known that. Um, I don't think she would have been prepared for the emotional journey I had to take to write the book. Yeah. So I always had dreams for myself. Um, I just didn't know how to get there because my emotions were holding me back. So if I told her you're coming out with a book, she would say, yeah, that totally makes sense. But if I told her this is the way you're going to get there, I think she would be quite terrified. 
Now, you take on a lot of projects. I feel like a lot of us with bipolar, they do so many things really quick. They're like, oh, they'll work on this and not get bored, but they're like, now I want to do this and that. Kind of shows you with the podcast you're on and like your agency, where you said you did a, like a magazine. Like, what is that like? Can you explain that to people that probably don't know how that how that is? Yeah, you know, it's it's about knowing who you are. I am not someone who can have one role. I get bored very easily. And I was on a walk with my mother and this is not to scare my team because my agency is here. You know, it's, I'm really committed and in the long term. Yeah. I was telling her, you know, I have to reinvent the agency every year for me to feel invigorated and, and on my toes with it. And my mom was just begging me because, you know, I had done so many projects in the past. She was like, please, please just commit 10 years to it. Please just say, just, just do it. And I said, you know, Mom, what if it was okay if this was how I operated? What if it was okay if I follow my energy and my flow and my passion? What if it's okay if I change projects? I, I'm really sorry that that makes you feel unsafe for me. I understand how there's no security in that type of a position, right? Yeah. I get it. But I'm not built like that. Like... I'm just not. And so my agency is so strong, solid, and, I, and it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. It's given me financial abundance. It's given me such insight as an owner and a boss of a team. And it's growing ridiculously this year in ways that I don't think I would have thought it would grow because I got the itch. Okay, what are we doing next? What are we creating next? We have a course that's out called Get Yourself as a Guest on Podcast that basically gives our whole proprietary formula away for a self-led course because I wanted to hop into that sector. I have the book coming out. You know, it's, I just trust what I want to do. I don't, I get why people, you know, and especially when you become an entrepreneur, you get in my book, I write about it. The, the One of the biggest passageways into entrepreneurship is everyone around you telling you not to do it. Why would you leave the stable job? What about the benefits? What about the 401k? All these things. And it's, it's a way for them to keep you safe. And you should recognize the love that you have if you're getting responses like that, because that means a lot. Yeah. But there are other ways to live your life and be successful that doesn't have the illusion of security that we've created with certain systems. And it just goes to show you already did that. Like you didn't learn, like you learned everything on your own. Like it, you made it work up until this point. Like why? stick to a formula that didn't work for you. Yeah. And it's knowing what that formula is for you. You know, yeah. I go on these podcasts and I talk about entrepreneurship and how great it is for those with mental illness, but by all means, it is not for everybody. And I never want someone to go into something where they are <laughs> trying to be something because it looks a certain way on Instagram or it sounds yeah. great because someone said it, you know, I can listen to someone talk about being a one-on-one -on -one coach on a podcast and be so inspired and know a hundred percent that that's not my fucking jam. And I would go crazy if I did that. Yeah. So it's really about figuring out what's your formula and, yeah. uh, and really, really authentically and radically and unapologetically owning your formula. I like that a lot. Um, I'm still trying to figure out my formula, so that's good. I, uh, I'm in no rush. Yeah. It takes, I mean, look, I'm probably still figuring out my formula, right? Like being a manager of a team, I don't know if that's my formula so much, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And now let's talk about The Emotional Entrepreneur. Uh, the book, again, releases August 16th. You can buy that on Amazon. So you have 25 lessons in it. And uh, I found two of them that I found interesting because I, I can relate to a lot of your feelings that you went through. Um, number three, number seven. Number three, fuck fear, accepting discomfort. I really like because you have to take that like piece of just... I just, I don't know how to explain it because discomfort is discomfort when you're trying to do something well. Like, can you, can you explain that chapter? Number three? Yeah. So I always say fear is the silent killer of your dreams. When you want to do something unconventional, big, out of the norm, whatever it might be, even if you accept a job at a business, at a, you know, another company, this not, is not just applied to entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. If you get the director job, you're probably scared shitless if you've never done that before. Yeah. And so you can either let fear do two things. You can give it power and let it take hold on your ego and it's going to give you every reason why you shouldn't do it. And they're going to sound rational. Well, of course, you know, I don't have the stability of an income of a paycheck. Of course I shouldn't do that, right? It's going to provide a very, very, very compelling case. But once you realize that case is robbing you of your future, things get, you get to examine that a little bit more. So fear is something that comes knocking every time. Launching this book, I've had multiple breakdowns crying because I'm scared shitless. Yeah. I'm spending more money than I've ever spent investing in this. I'm putting myself out there on the line. I'm growing my team so that I can do this. So my overhead's getting bigger. There are so many things that my body is telling me not to do, but I need to examine, is that fear or is that out of alignment for me? Is my body telling me stop because it's trying to protect you from being rejected, from failing, from losing money and being in a bad situation? Or is your body telling you this isn't an alignment for you? And so there's two very distinct things. If fear's at the door, it's a contract with me that I'm moving forward. I'm just going to have to chill with this friend of mine who loves to show up and try to ruin my dreams. Like, he's here. He's going to be here, right? And just and so punch we, him right in the face. Punch him right in the face. <laughs> you know, book the launch party hotel that you're going to do, whatever it is. And so, so many times, you know, I think about it, you know, my sister she's less, she's, she doesn't like taking as much risk as I do. If she would have let fear get in the way of starting OKSIS podcast as quickly as we did, I wouldn't be here today. Fear would have just, would have taken the last three years from me. And so once you can think of what is fear already taken from your life is the moment you realize that you don't have to play with that anymore. You can acknowledge it, but it doesn't have a seat at the table. I really like that, uh, that chapter a lot because I, I fucking hate fear as well, <laughs> but like just straight up fuck fear. It's like, that's the most perfect thing to say about that. And then yeah, with okay. with, yeah fuck um, mm -hmm. with anxiety too. Cause I'm always in discomfort, like out in public sometimes just cause like with my like mental health and stuff, like I, I, I always laugh about it at the time. Like I'll be like, I'm in an awkward situation, but in my head, I'm like, this is going to be so funny later. Like, that's how I deal with it. Like, I love being like in that just stupid mode. And like later, I'm like, oh man, that was, uh, that was awesome. How awkward I was. Um, now with 
lesson number seven, I won't go over every lesson, obviously. We gotta we gotta sell the book to the people. Um, with anxiety has your back. Now, I feel like that was super interesting because you said it was an unpopular opinion. Now, can you explain anxiety has your back? Yeah. So I think something we do with anxiety and all uncomfortable emotions is that we don't think they serve us and we need to get rid of them. We need to eject them from our bodies and from our minds and our souls. Anxiety, while yes, exaggerates, anxiety is a drama queen. Okay, guys, it, it exaggerates significantly. The reality of what it's trying to tell you, that might not be so true, right? Like you might yeah. say something at a party and you're anxious that you sounded stupid. Nobody thinks you sounded stupid. However, if you are, I think we've come to a point where we feel as if anxiety is just this thing that happens to us, but really it's a warning sign. It's, it's a knock on the door. It's a guide. And when you really follow, okay, when I'm in these situations, I get anxiety. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to remove yourself from those situations. Like let's take social anxiety as an example, right? If you get anxious in social situations, your anxiety is telling you that there's a wound happening. It's telling you, hey, we don't go there because I'm uncomfortable and I'm going to protect myself. So I'm going to make you feel so anxious that you stay home so that you're safe and that you don't do anything at that party that's going to disrupt you. Yeah. Okay. So anxiety is telling you very clearly that you have social anxiety. So what we get to do with that, thanks for the sign. Guess what I get to do? I get to go to therapy. I get to do inner child work. I get to think about why at the core of me do I feel anxious around other people? And I get to work on that. Anxiety has your back in that it's, if you listen to it, it's telling you something. And that doesn't mean you have to work on all your issues and all your shit, you know, tomorrow, right? But yeah. for example, when I changed up something with the business, the way it was operating one week, and I had so much anxiety and I realized, okay, that's not working for me. And my body's telling me very clearly. So either it highlights areas that you need to work on, or it shows you when you're not in alignment. Is it exaggerated and crazy? Yes. But anxiety doesn't just hang out for the sake of hanging out. There are reasons we have anxiety. And I think that once we start listening and seeing and not saying, which I used to say all the time, I don't know, I'm just anxious, I have anxiety. It's not true. There's a reason you feel anxiety. And so I invite you to drop in, like don't, get, don't say I don't know is the excuse. Well, why do you think, why? Go deeper with probably the help of a professional therapist because this exercise yeah. can bring out a lot, do it with you know help and support. But I used to use that as a cop out constantly. Oh no, I just have anxiety. It's just like, you know, just born with it. I just yeah. have it. But it's, it really is telling you something. And, and sometimes people, anxiety tells people things stronger. So people are more, you know, more um, conducive to experiencing high amounts of anxiety. The severity might be different from person to person. But if we can stop and get very clear about what our body is trying to tell us, it can really propel us forward to healing, to taking control of our emotions and to giving ourselves the power back. That is a very interesting take on it. And that is, uh, that is pretty cool. I like that a lot. Um, so the emotional entrepreneur, get it on Amazon, 
Get it for Scout Sobel. She is this interview fucking rocks. So I don't know why you wouldn't go buy it. Um, so yeah, let's uh let's end this interview. Where can everyone find you on the uh the internets? Oh, but I didn't do my three gratefuls. Oh, I know I was gonna do that next. That's, oh, sorry. I, I, I was so geez. excited about that. I know. I'm that's I save it for last right before okay. I say bye. Okay, good. Because that's my favorite part. I was like, I didn't even say my three gratefuls. Oh no, I, I wait. My moment. Okay, you can find me on Instagram at Scout Sobel. If you go there, you can go to the link in my bio to purchase the book, although I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes. And then I have a newsletter, podcast. You can find everything that I do, Scouts Agency, on my Instagram. Perfect. I actually just signed up for your newsletter, so hmm, everyone else should too. So now, before I say bye, I was wondering three things that you are grateful for. I would love to hear them, Scout. I am grateful. Hmm. Okay. I am grateful for the fact that I had to put out a fire for my business this morning, because if there's a fire to put out, that means that I have my own business. I am grateful that the avocados that I picked from my tree last week are finally ripe enough to eat for lunch. And I am grateful that every single, no, I'm grateful that this morning specifically, I woke up and 20 seconds into waking up, I noticed that my to-do list was running and I stopped and I said, I get to choose what I think first thing in the morning. And I just sat there and I said, I am capable, I am beautiful, I am powerful, and I am inspired. Those are really good. Everyone kind of just has like their own little, just like my family, blah, blah, blah. But like the avocado tree, I actually didn't even know avocados came from trees. That's how uneducated I am. That's pretty interesting. I don't fuck around with my grateful. <laughs> you don't, you don't, you came with it. That that might be the best one yet. Um, and I'm, I'm not even just saying that you were ready. Um, <laughs> Scout, thank you so much for taking the time with me. I'm so happy for you. I, I can only imagine what's next for you. You're going to keep on growing. Love you so much. And thank you again for chatting with me. Love you too. Thank you. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. If you are feeling suicidal, please dial 911.